Hi, thank you for joining us today. My name is Kara O'Halloran, and I'm a director in the investment research group at FS Investments. I am so excited to be joined today by my colleague, Laura Rehm, our chief U.S. economist here at FS. Uh, we are here to talk all things interest rates, what's going on with rates, what the impact has been on markets, and where things go from here. Laura, how are you? Thanks for joining. I'm great. It's going to be a good conversation. There is a lot to talk about. It sure is. And I think it is only fitting that we are recording this on March 8th, which is International Women's Day. So we have we have the female uh, half of our team today. So very, very exciting. <laughs> Over the past few weeks, we have seen a lot of volatility in treasuries and long-term interest rates. So Laura, just set the stage for us. Um, give us a quick overview. What's happened? Where are we at now? Yeah. So, you know, to your to exactly to your point, interest rates have and here I'm speaking of government benchmark interest rates, sort of what we call core interest rates, have been really on a rising trend since the summer when they bottomed at levels that are at absolutely historic lows. So, you know, given good news that's rolled in about the economy and then vaccines and then, you know, a gr- really a, a growth return to normal. Over the last several weeks, we've seen rising interest rates accelerate sharply. You know, we started the year with a 10-year around 0.9. Now it's it's at 160 already. And that's just seemed to have really gone, you know, with several fits and starts, but really pretty much in one direction. That pace has really accelerated. And what's really driving this increase? You know, we hear people talk about inflation or just general optimism. Is it rate hike expectations? What What's... What's driving this? Well, you know that you bring up an important point because the reality is that interest rates and growth expectations, inflation expectations, they're all part of the same ecosystem. And then you have the Fed swirling around there in the middle of it. So what we've really, you know, what we've clearly seen is a resilient economy and such good news uh, in the face of you know a renewed pandemic in the fourth quarter. And in the you know because of vaccines and this really strong resilience, I think everybody's now looking towards the end of 2021. We were optimistic at the turn of the year, and now there's just you, it's you can all it's so close you can almost taste it. You know that return to growth, that return to some form of life that's probably pretty close to normal or to pre-COVID. So all of this optimism is expressing itself in. Um, expectations of higher growth. And what does that mean for interest rates? You know, when we think about return to normal, we think about unwinding, you know, the deflationary shock. We talk about getting growth back to, you know, sustainably like 2%, kind of where we were before the pandemic. And we also think about inflation. So that's been one of the a piece that is, is I think, going to be really interesting as, as we see it play out over the next several years. But for right now, what you're seeing is markets repricing what they think monetary policy could look like. Will the Fed raise rates in one year? Will they raise rates in five years? And as this exuberance towards growth builds, markets are naturally kind of moving forward some of those rate hikes. And it's causing the entire yield curve to steepen as long-term interest rates and as medium-term interest rates rise too. No, that makes sense. Return to normal cannot come soon enough, uh, in my view. So talking about the Fed, Chair Powell has made it very clear uh, twice now, this commitment to remain accommodative. Do you think that there's a point 
where the Fed steps in to stop this rising, these rising rates, or uh, at least pre- to prevent them from moving so quickly? Yeah. What you're seeing right now is the Fed trying to have their cake and eat it too. They want to allow markets and the economy to the extent that they can determine their own destiny. You know, if the Fed is doing its job right, then things are going to return to normal and that's going to be reflected in interest rates. I think what concerns them is some kind of disruption such that rates rise so fast and so far that it circles back and slows the economy down. That we are far uh, away from that right now. But markets are so forward looking. And if there's one thing we've seen throughout all of this, Kara, it's that markets are just moving through cycles faster than we've seen it at any other time. So just because Chair Powell is saying last week that, oh, you know, if rates are rising because the economy is returning in a healthy way, that's fine, doesn't mean <laughs> that if things start moving even faster than they have now, that he won't come back in and express something different. Um, You know, the Fed is still buying billions, you know, $80 billion of treasuries every month. It will not take a lot of language from the Fed to, I think, get markets scared that they're going to increase that. Um, And it could cause this volatility that we're seeing in treasuries to jump to an even higher level. So, Laura, why is this happening now? You know, I think back to that Monday morning in November when we got that first announcement about the vaccine. Um, And that's when we really saw the start of this reflationary reopening cyclical trade, the whatever you want to call it. Um, And we didn't have this magnitude of a rate spike. And then similarly, after the Georgia runoff elections, um, when we saw very, you know, high likelihood of more stimulus So what happened this time? You know, it doesn't seem like there's necessarily one news report that all of this is pegged to. What's going on? Yeah, no, you're right. And all of those things have really built upon each other. You know, the news flow for the economy has really been in one direction, and that's towards resilience, towards recovery, towards reopening. Um, You know, even in the face of a worsening pandemic, the, you know, the terrible numbers we were seeing of infections in December and January you know, the economy did what it has done through this and has been strong. It has been, um, you know, taking stimulus and using that to power through. And I think all of that good news is built upon itself. And, you know, I think, you know, Fed Chair Powell was a huge, um, you know, it's it's hard to express this the right way because it's not what he said, it's what he didn't say. <laughs> what he didn't say was, you know, we're worried about rising rates. We want markets to be careful because this could hurt the economy. We want, you know, markets to, you know, we're thinking of added policy that could put a cap on long-term rates. He didn't say anything that indicated discomfort from policymakers on where rates are heading. And at the same time, you know, you've got the the fiscal side just creating higher deficits and printing more, you know, printing more money, creating more debt. All of that um, is on the supply side going to also sort of naturally all else equal cause interest rates to rise. So, you know, I think that's the why now. And all of that could continue in this same trend. There is room to go higher. Back in December, when we wrote our 10 for 21, you know, we were calling for interest rates 
between one and 2% this year. And I think a lot of analysts back then were much more cautious. And, you know, I still hold to that. It may not be a straight line there, but I think we could very easily get to 2%. You know, that's really not even that far away at this point. But um, markets, when there's momentum behind these moves, can really can really take them and go. So coming into 2021, as you mentioned, you called for rates to possibly hit 2%. You know, we're at about one six percent now, so we are getting close to two percent. How high could rates go? Could we see them pass two percent or what were your thoughts there? Well, that you know, that is I think truly an important question. And so much of what we've seen in these rate moves so far has been caused by uh growth recovering. I think we then need to pivot to the inflation question, which is such a huge topic. Because the Fed is really looking for inflation to, you know, their policy has completely changed over the course of the pandemic. Uh, You know, this policy review they went through is geared towards making sure that inflation stays at 2%. And as it averages 2%, it could even go higher. All that's to say, I think that next leg above 2% really starts to get into how Uh, sustainable, this above potential growth that we're seeing right now, how sustainable is that? And the second leg is, will inflation sort of move back to where it was, like 1.7%? Choose the magic number that the Fed wants to see. And they've made clear that they really would be fine seeing inflation even above that. That's not where our economy has experienced inflation for a long time, not on a sustainable basis. So I think when I think to, you know, rates going from two to 3%, again, talking about core interest rates, your 10-year treasury, those are conditions we had in 2017, 2018, when growth was significantly for several years higher than potential. Remember, we still didn't get inflation even then, but those are the conditions where I think markets would need to see a perfect storm, not just of recovery, but of um, sustainably higher growth and sustainably higher inflation that is, you know, strong enough. So the Fed is, you know, really able to renormalize rates. I think it's all a ways off. It's not that we couldn't get to 3%. Um, you know, this is a huge market and it's been positioned in one direction, you know, for lower rates for so long. We've seen that from, from all of our investors and advisors, you know, that this long duration, you know, you just need to reach for longer and longer and longer term yield because interest rates are so low. There's a, if that really reverses, and I think we may just be seeing the, the tip of that, if, if this really um, reverses over the course of multiple quarters, we could see a really, really big change in interest rates. And, and just to add one more factor to that, you know, I gave a talk last week. We had 500, more than 500 advisors dial in. And in the middle of it, we had a poll question. I love poll questions because, you know, hearing what everybody else thinks just informs me so much. And um, we asked if, you know, people thought rates were going to go lower from here, stay the same or go higher. Only 3% 
thought that rates were going to go lower. So 97% think that they're either going to stay where they are or go higher. And that was fairly evenly split. So, you know, we're not alone in looking at this. Everybody's expecting it. Now, what do you do with it? I mean, I think what do you do with it depends on how far it goes. So that is now going to be the question. How far does it go? Yeah, I mean, speaking of how far it goes, if we're seeing this this long duration trade play out in markets. I mean, you know, I, I pay a lot of attention to credit markets and fixed income markets, and um, they're just getting hammered right now. You know, any anything long duration. Um, we can use our the Barclays Ag as our our proxy here. And in February, it posted its worst month since 2016. It's now down almost three percent year to date. So, you know, anything with a lot of duration sensitivity is just really, really struggling right now. Um, so it's important to, you know, keep in mind as, as we think about rates continuing to rise. Yes. This trend of duration has been so exceptional, especially the last, you know, you could go back decades and see that rates have just been on a broad downtrend. The last several years, this really accelerated. And then the last year, I mean, with this black swan event, you know, has pushed markets really, um, I think, further than anybody really thought that they would go. So it's caused this long duration play, which has hit everything, right? To your exactly to your point, Kara, that it's hit, um, you know, other fixed income markets. It's hit credit markets. And I think it's actually hit equity markets, too. You know, we're just, I think... When I think about, you know, the last taper tantrum and one question I got last week was rates are rising so fast. Is this another taper tantrum? And my answer is sort of, hey, you know, the taper tantrum. No, no, this was not a taper tantrum. But, um, you know, we could actually see that playing out in equity markets this time around, not even uh, treasuries, because as rates even rise, you know, a little bit or return to normal, you're seeing it cause a really um, charged rotation in equity markets. I mean, I think about the impact that rising rates has um, on fixed income is very obvious. You know, that's just an asset class, which I think was widely viewed as being in real trouble and um, coming into this, you know, year with really no more room to go. And then, you look at, you know, you look downstream to other credit markets. I think that's a place where, you know, happily, um, a lot of these markets are well supported by economic fundamentals and a broadly successful, you know, a, a broadly strong equity market. But underneath the equity market side, you're seeing just this really significant rotation. And that's where I think people don't appreciate the fact that these long, um, these growth stocks themselves are often traded like very long duration assets, you know? I mean, I think that's just going to be a fascinating uh, feature of how the next quarter plays out when we see rising rates, you know, on a on a collision course with these e- extraordinarily high valuations in equity markets. Absolutely. I think that that's a great point. I think I like to think about the Tina narrative, you know, that there is no alternative, um, especially last year, uh, the value of holding bonds just wasn't there. Stocks yielded more than bonds. Uh, bonds weren't great diversifiers. There really wasn't. Yeah. When, I, when I say bonds, I'm talking core fixed income. There wasn't that much value in holding them. Um, so with this rate rise, we're now seeing that bonds yield just about the same as stocks again. So all of these valuations have to be reconsidered and the, the value of holding different asset classes, it all has to be reconsidered. Yeah. Um, that I think you throw in that 
the, the really simple, if we go back to our finance 101, the discount rate, increasing the discount rate on equities and these growth stocks that theoretically have a higher degree of future earnings, if you're discounting them back to the present at a higher rate, they're looking less attractive now um, than they were two weeks ago. What does that mean for diversification, though? Like, let's t- let's think that through. Like, if it used to, you know, if it used to be sort of like equities and fixed income and the fixed income pieces of working, you know, to, like in the Tina world, the Tina narrative, which held from, you know, the low, whatever it was, April um, last year through the end of the year. Um, if that starts to crack apart because the equity side is no longer the only game in town, now how do you divert? Like, what do you do? How do you diversify in that world when fixed income is just really not an option? Traditional fixed income is not there for you. Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, your 40 is going to look a whole lot different going forward regardless, right? Rights are still, they're still low. Bonds are still really not diversifying stocks. So your 40, it might be a, a diversifier, you know, something stabilizing and then something for income. So maybe you're looking at high yield or, or credit for income um, or and then something to stabilize your portfolio. But whatever you're going to do, it's there's not really a one stop shop in terms of that portfolio diversifier anymore. Flo- and floating rate, I think Absolutely. that's something we've seen the leverage loan inflows have been there. You know, it's all of these. I think it's it's really needing to. Um, you know, step back. I feel like last year, if you could just sort of ride out the storm, you were in really good shape. But this year, you need to actually, it's it's just ironic to me that kind of doing nothing last year was the right thing to do. <laughs> and this year, when the economy, the economic outlook is so good, and the optimism is so palpable, all of a sudden, for, from the market's perspective, from the investment perspective, all of a sudden, now you've got to do something. You know, now oh. you've got to reconsider. You know what what tools you're putting into your portfolio, what you're stocking up on. Yeah, absolutely. Last year, everyone was saying, "Oh, why is the stock market going up when the economy is tanking?" And now it's the complete opposite. So, right. <laughs> definitely, markets are forward looking. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I guess the growth stocks that got the double whammy support of, "Hey, everyone's at home using us." And B, you know, like zero long-term, long-term interest rates very close to zero. Like, you know, all of your growth expectations are far out in the future. So you're really not having to discount them at all. That's just a, a winning combination that now looks like it's eroding on both on both sides of the beach. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Laura, you mentioned floating rates and we've definitely seen then become very popular this year, a lot of inflows into senior secured loans. But something that I think a lot of people would find very surprising is that high yield bonds are actually relatively duration insensitive. So if you look mm-hmm. back over time, uh, high yield bonds have actually typically increased uh, in price given increases in interest rates. They're definitely more sensitive to the economic outlook, uh, company fundamentals, um, all of that. And as we've discussed, you know, this this rising rate scare or spike is really due to a strong economy. Um, and so and default rates are trending down. We expect them to continue trending down. So the outlook is really positive for high yield bonds. So I think that it's definitely not an area that investors should shy away from, even given rising interest rates. Yeah, I think when we think about all of these other asset classes, you know, real estate, um, 
floating rate assets, high yield. You have, you know, a lot of times shorter duration protection against rising rates. I think that is where markets are increasingly going to be trying to diversify um, their equity portfolios. And it's a place where the sensitivity to interest rates, to inflation is really significant. You know, we have right now the great economic news. It's lifting interest rates. That's against a backdrop of inflation that is still muted and long run inflation expectations that are still muted. Should those kick up another notch? You could see the interest rate move intensify and everything that we're talking about right now, this um, this need to shorten duration, this need to look for returns um, that are tied to um, you know floating rate assets or to higher yielding assets, I think is is absolutely what what ends up uh, being the focus. So I think that for that reason, in the in the coming quarter, I think growth is going to obviously all of the the hard economic indicators, the employment numbers, the retail sales numbers, the investment numbers, all those have been so positive. They're, of course, going to be uh, top of the watch list. But really, I think inflation over the the coming quarter is going to be really critical. We know it's going to rise somewhat uh, simply because of base effects from last year. When I think about what we're watching, you know, the inflation, the inflation expectations piece is is really critical. And I think markets, equity markets in particular, credit markets are all going to be hypersensitive to this these shifting sands of not just higher interest rates but but where the inflation expectations are are driving that and where it's just simply good old euphoria about sorry so safe to say your number one thing you're watching the next coming weeks is inflation anything else yeah i think you know again this the fed speakers are really going to continue to make a lot of headlines right now they've been very disciplined but um you know communicating around um you know this in this environment where clearly they're not going to raise rates anytime soon so where all of the communication is around the balance sheet it can get muddled pretty fast They've done a good job of staying disciplined. Uh, that's helpful, but you know that could change, and it could also cause volatility in bond markets. So, um, you know, I think the headline, the Fed headlines, um, and then you know, for me, really at the end of the day, the employment numbers remain really critical. We're seeing growth demand very strong, but you know, are we are we really going to see the jobs coming back? We still have 9 million people out of work. We still have 4 million people who dropped out of the workforce completely. Uh, I would really hope that over the next several months, as vaccines are more widely distributed and school winds down, people are willing to go on vacation, we really see significant movement on the employment front. I think now's the time to really start moving quickly. Um, to get people back in their jobs. I think that's a, a great place to wrap, Laura. Thank you so much for for hopping on and chatting with me today. Um, I know our team is busy at work uh, writing and thinking about our Q2 outlooks. Hard to believe it is already almost the second quarter, but here we are. Um, so we will have the whole gang together in a couple of weeks on our next podcast to talk about everything Q2 2021. Thanks so much. Thank you.